0: Hello and welcome back to Pep Talk. We're recording this again because of a uh, technical failure, but uh, today here I have uh, Harry, Harry Baldwin, and Carson Ellers. Uh, they're from the Labor and uh, Tory Society, and we're here to talk about the general election again. So, guys, if you'd uh, introduce yourselves, talk about your club, talk about what your club did in the latest general election, then we can get into some more uh, policy and Brexit stuff regarding the the last election.
1: Hi, so I'm Harry Baldwin, and I'm the chairman of the Conservative and Unionist Society at the University of York. So, like all political societies, we have socials where we talk about policies, we talk about what's happening in the world, what's happening in the U.K., and we have debates and where we debate each other on certain topics as well which is always really really interesting and regarding the general election we played a quite a big part I thought because we really organized ourselves quite well in um being able to choose which constituency we would campaign in so majority of our campaigning occurred in where we are now in York Outer for the Conservative MP Julian Sturdy and that was really important because Julian um despite having an 8000 seat uh, 8000 uh, majority, um, York out voted remain, so we had to be very careful there, the Liberal Democrats. But we also focused on constituencies such as Darlington, where no people went to. We went to Putney, um, so we focused all across the northeast um, of England, which I think is really, really important because you've got to win as many seats as possible to win a general election. Yeah, definitely. Um,
2: hi, I'm Carsten. I'm the secretary of um, the University of York Labour Club. I'm, like the York Tories, we sort of do a lot of socials, meetings and stuff like that. Um, in the general election, yeah, a lot of our members campaigned for the Labour Party in York Central for Rachel Maskell and York Outer, Parrot. Um, although we were unsuccessful in York Outer and we went a bit further afield as well. We went to Leeds a few times. Um, I think we, we planned a trip to Scarborough. I wasn't on that one, but... Um, Scott Bados. <laughs> yeah, but, um, um, yeah, so, um, we campaigned around the country for the Labour Party.
0: Yeah, great. And, uh, like I said, we, we just did an, an hour and 11 minutes of recording <laughs> that I was, the, the, the worst of my worries was st- sifting through all of that to try and cobble together 45 minutes instead of an hour and 11 minutes. And, uh, but now, now we have to do it again. So we're going to try and keep up the uh, keep up the energy for you guys into this uh, into this next question. We'll uh, we'll start to talk about the leaders and their roles in this latest election, and uh, and talk about uh, Boris Johnson first, our our Prime Minister, and uh, and harry how do you think that uh that leadership played in the election and how do you think boris was as a leader in general i think boris was a a strong leader in this election i think um he took part in the
1: general election debates which theresa may didn't do last time and i think that gave a lot of credibility to corbyn in 2017 but i think he also had a lot to talk about his previous uh, years in leadership himself so he was the mayor of london in which he delivered 500,000 new jobs, uh, 100,000 new affordable homes, and expanded London living ways, as well as improving air quality. So these are, you know, is a positive message to get across to people. You know, he's looking at his own qualities and not just focusing on Jeremy Corbyn. We have a leader who was very much um, was going to be elected on his own ability, not just by slagging the opposition off all the time.
0: Yeah, that uh, ownability also comes with a lot of baggage. Uh, yeah, in, so he does have in baggage. In Boris Johnson, I'll just read a couple of things that mm-hmm. he said. He's he had that whole uh, controversy calling the the burka, the traditional uh, garb, uh, saying that women look like letterboxes wearing them. The whole uh, p- uh, what w- what was the uh, pica- with, uh, picka pickaninnies with a watermelon yeah. smiles, uh, referring to black people, and uh, yeah, these are. I'm shameful, really. Uh, there's there's no other way to put it. And um, Carson, we talked about earlier how this would be disqualifying for you to to vote for someone who's said these kind of things. But uh, but Harry, you you maintain that uh, he's he's still a strong leader and can overcome these past statements and uh, and still unify a country and a party. And yeah, uh, he was able to do it. Uh, full I think stop. the issue
1: regarding Johnson was his previous career of being a journalist. He saw a strategy of saying controversial things as a way to get more attention, sell more papers, and to try and further his career. There, well, you can argue I, that the same tactics. And I know, I know. I know. I, 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 the comments he made should not be said at all because I completely disagree with them. They're not appropriate at all. And I, be, I, you know, agree with what Carson said before about you know words do have an impact. But I think you've got to look at Johnson at the whole. And you know, I will always go along the saying of you know look at his actions, not what he always says. And you know, he did vote for uh, gay marriage, which I think is really, really important, which I believe in strongly, and the majority of the people in the country believe in strongly as well. As I see Con Carson's nodding as well, but you know he has he has made comments which I don't agree with. Um, I don't think there's any. Maliciousness behind the comments at all. He said them maybe as a laugh and a joke, and maybe for you know banter purposes, which I don't think is an excuse. But you know, this is what I, I think about it. I don't agree with what he said, but I think over the last few years, I think um, he's worked on it. You know, he was mayor of London, which is one of the most diverse cities in the world, and which he united. You know, conservatives winning. Um, the mayor in London is unusual. It's quite a strong
0: uh, Labour area. So, well, Carson, was- you're kind of looking a little bit little bit disagreeable over there, and and beyond what he said, that might seem inappropriate. There are there have been consequential uh, policy wise uh, issues with uh, with Boris, such as the, uh, the in the whole Brexit Leave campaign, which was filled with misinformation, uh, and. Uh, yeah completely full of misinformation and Boris only added to that with a uh, that that whole bus scandal the 350 million pounds even though the UK tax authority said that uh, it would it was 190 million pounds actually that was leaving the the UK for the EU just as a rough estimate and it was probably less because the whole claim was that uh 350 million pounds were being taken from the UK by the EU which could have been uh, uh, funding the NHS rather than uh, rather than going to the uh, going to the EU, which is one of the chief reasons he uh, he wanted to leave. Uh, what what's of your reaction to that, and Boris Johnson's gaff proneness in general?
2: I think in general, Boris Johnson will say whatever he needs to say to further Boris Johnson, regardless of whether it's offensive or indeed the truth. Um, and I think you said he's worked on it. Well, he, he hasn't, really. The letterbox comment was only 2018, I think it was. And um, I saw reports that before this election, the government was polling, um, speculatively polling on trans issues to try and see if they could be used as a, a cultural wedge in the the red wall. And I think that's that's fundamentally immoral. And I think he... You said he voted for gay marriage. He also called gay sex... Or likened it to bestiality. So I think it's... I think he'll say whatever he needs to say to get him where he wants to go. He was fired from his newspaper career for lying um, before he was an MP when he worked for, I forget which newspaper, but one of them. Um, So I do think think these comments
1: should be disqualifying, and I don't think he's the kind of responsible person you want as Prime Minister. I think there's going to be multiple factors why any party wins a general election, but I think the three factors which won... The election for us was as I already showed and said uh, strong leadership is always going to be one of them and Boris Johnson doing the general election debates, the television debates unlike Theresa May last time, I think helped a lot you know talking about his experiences of being mayor of London his experiences of leadership already but i think we also had a really good strong manifesto and it was a safe manifesto because first of all we focused on the people's priorities such as investment into education the nhs and the police force which i think were fundamental uh, uh, things which people really care about and a majority of people in this country could get behind but we also highlighted something which you know caused us a lot of problems in 2017 we highlighted in our manifesto that we would not bring back fox hunting because in the 2017 manifesto we said we would have a free vote on fox hunting, which caused a lot of problems. People said, "I don't. I'm not a supporter of fox hunting whatsoever. I think it's barbaric." Um, but you know, mentioning it in a manifesto, saying bring it back as a free vote, is always going to be a problem. So this time we played it safe and we we ensured that uh, we would not bring back fox hunting to vote at all and I think one thing that was really important for us, and you know Carson would agree is having a positive a positive and clear message throughout the campaign so the amount of times when and I was, Boris out,
0: was able to deliver that
1: yes I think he was able to deliver that you know the amount of times people said to me get Brexit done or unleash Britain's potential it was a clear it was a simple message which people remembered but it was something which people resonated with because we had a referendum in 2016 in which we voted to leave the European Union Brexit at the moment should be done and dusted with it should have been done on the 29th of march and unfortunately it hasn't been and we knew that one of the main reasons why brexit hadn't been done is because labour kept you know you know had more diva they had more delay Mm -hmm. and they kept blocking the deal they weren't prepared to accept no deal either so we had to go down a route of going to the people one more time and saying is brexit what you want
0: and they said yes and uh, we'll get more into the message in a little bit, but let's stay on the on the messenger and look a little bit at Jeremy Corbyn, Carson. This is a a difficult question for any Labour supporter, but did uh, did Corbyn do enough to dispel the allegations of anti-Semitism throughout the campaign throughout his career? No. I
2: don't think he did. I think he completely failed on this, and I I won't defend his record on it. Um, and can only apologise on behalf of those of us in the party who were trying to do more. Um. I think it was it was weakness. We should have gotten rid of the the questionable figures in our party far earlier. We should have taken far stronger action and listened to uh, groups like the Jewish Labour movement um, when they raised concerns. But
0: you'd still consider voting and uh, encourage others to vote for a man who called the leadership of Hamas and Hezbollah friends. Uh, this seems to me, especially as an American which, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd looking at British politics uh, from a from an American perspective, this would be disqualifying beyond belief for any American politician. I think so Jeremy, do, you, do, you still, do you think that Jeremy you can Corbyn, vote for him in good conscience?
2: Jeremy Corbyn never expected to be leader of the Labour Party or prime minister up until about 2015. Um, and I think that during his parliamentary career before that, I think he often tried to champion causes and groups that weren't represented across the rest of the political spectrum. And this did mean that he associated with some figures that he might not have done had he had
0: ambitions of higher office. And... Would that not just be his true beliefs on display because he didn't think that it would harm him? I think he...
2: Personally, I don't think he... I don't think he did it out of malicious intent. I think he was just simply not... He wasn't really thinking about the potential image of it because it didn't really affect him as one of one anonymous slightly anonymous backbencher what he what what he said what he did wasn't covered to the same extent um i mean he as someone he's often someone who condemns political violence quite a lot and he's he's very very against violence he's a vegan pacifist Like he's not he he's hardly some sort of but terrorist words militant. words
0: matter, as you talk, as you said to Harry not too they long do. ago, and and I, I'd like to give give you a chance to talk I'll about your a views a quick on corbyn So
1: you talk about um, Jamie Coburn would not have called Hamas and Hezbollah friends if he knew at some point that he would be running for leader, Labour leadership. So do you think it's appropriate for any backbencher to call terrorist organisation friends? To be honest,
2: no, and I think this is what I meant earlier. Jeremy Corbyn should have apologized and should have dealt with his former record more strongly than he did. I think he has apologized for that. I think. I think he. I, I believe. I think he in has. the Hamas and the Hezbollah stuff. He's apologized for, but it's more. Um, when I say he didn't apologize, I was more referring to the Andrew Neil interview. Yes. Or he didn't say that, uh, sorry for anti-Semitism until extremely pushed. And um, with the
0: Andrew with the Andrew Neil interview, especially, it was quite striking. Uh, when he jeremy corbyn refused to condemn anti-semitism four times and it took up i mean i don't know from especially just a, from a more american perspective it would seem like any politician who who refuses to condemn the anti-semitism rife uh i mean i think rife i, think I think it was wrong
2: um i think he he's wrong to not apologize for it i think he just i think they get leaders tend to get quite defensive um, when they attacked you, always um, sort of hear about the, the Blair bunker in the end when he was being assaulted by members of his party, wanting him to quit the Brown bunker in the latter days of twenty ten, the Thatcher bunker. They always get quite defensive within their own inner staff, and I think they get um, quite frustrated about it. He wanted to talk about other things, but I think it was it was wrong of him. Uh, but it's that not interview made me. No, i I think he I think he should have done that, but I think I would have voted overall, I, and I did vote Labour um based on the wider change to the economy. Um I he has condemned anti Semitism. It was a failure to apologize, and I know there are those within the party who are trying to uh, trying to improve our party on the issue and I think it has improved in the last year compared to what it was in
0: twenty seventeen, twenty sixteen. Harry, does the anti-Semitism within the Labour Party disqualify it from government, or disqualify it from your vote for government in your eyes?
1: I believe it does. Having an investigation by the Equality and Human Rights Commission since May regarding anti-Semitism, which is something really concerning for the Labour Party, and I think it put a lot of people off as well as 87% of Jewish people in a survey said that they would be concerned if Jeremy Corbyn became prime minister. And when you have the chief rabbi coming out saying Corbyn's not fit for high office, these are really concerning, you know, comments by a certain religious group. And it's a sad, it's really sad to see that as well, because, you know, I've got friends in the Labour party who are really good, decent people. However, it has been taken over at the moment. I think it's been poorly led by Jeremy Corbyn, who has allowed antisemitism to grow within the Labour party. Because, you know, when I think Jamie Corbyn is anti-Semitic, but well, I do know people within the Labour Party who are very good, honest, decent people who we have disagreements on politics, of course. But um, I think at the moment he his leadership has been awful and he's allowed it uh, to go on for too long. Well,
0: let's talk about his leadership a little bit more beyond anti-Semitism. I, that might, I don't think that that defines him and especially to you, Carson, it doesn't define him what does define Jeremy Corbyn to you? What makes him an effective leader? He was able to galvanize youth support in two elections now, right in a row. Uh, what What makes him a good leader, and what makes him a leader that earned your vote?
2: I think that he wasn't a typical politician, and that he really seemed like he cared about about people. Not he didn't just care about them for their votes. He genuinely cared about about their struggles and what they were going through. That's what seemed different about him to me, and that's what. Um, I think attracted me and a lot of other young people into supporting Labour.
0: How about the policy difference with him as the leader and momentum the as a, as a group sort of defining the leadership rather than any kind of more conservative or moderate group within the Labour Party. What do you think what kind of impact, first of all, did that have on your support for Jeremy Corbyn and the leadership and the Labour Party in this last election? And what kind of impact do you think it had on the election itself?
2: Um, well, I think the infighting within the Labour Party had a hugely detrimental effect on us and our performance in the election, because it's been widely covered. And it does it, it does affect your perception of a leader if they can't control their own party, can they control the country, that sort of line. Um, but I think, I think that that was the fault of both sides. Without willing, without wanting to sound like a Lib Dem, um, they. I think the you'd never dare. <laughs> I think that the um, those on the left of the party got very defensive very quickly, um, and got and some some people, maybe not MPs, but some activists became very sort of purity, purist Corbyn, Whereas I think some on the right of the party never even gave him a chance. Um and so I think I, I think both of those affected it and um um and and lowered his leadership ratings along with the anti Semitism, which
0: again I've said I, I won't defend his failure on that. Um was he the right choice for for a leader then? If he in has 2015? all of these in twenty fifteen, in twenty nineteen, in twenty seventeen, um, in general, twenty fifteen, he would have went into twenty fifteen. I probably so. would have. Um, Did you vote Corbyn? I, I, I wasn't um, a Labour member in twenty fifteen, and I
2: joined in twenty seventeen. So I have never voted in the leadership election, but I probably would have voted for Andy Burnham in twenty fifteen. Yeah. Um, um twenty sixteen, I'm not sure. But um, I... No, I think he had... He had his principles, which were his main strength. Um, and I think his, his... His principles were what stuck out. But I think he... He wasn't effective in controlling the Labour Party, which wasn't helped by the the, the Parliamentary Labour Party itself. And he fundamentally failed on anti-Semitism, which... They, all of these problems feed into each other. The anti-Semitism yeah. frustrated the MPs, which made them... They attacked him more, which meant his supporters became more angry at them. And then... Um, the MPs are afraid of getting deselected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, It all it all fed back and ultimately made us look weak and not not like a government in waiting to the British public, which is why we failed.
0: And moving on a little bit more towards policy and away from leadership, both parties uh, had manifestos. One was a little bit shorter and a little bit more focused, as we uh, as we uh, we already said in the last recording, but we will uh, we will march on and say again. Uh, there was a 64-page manifesto from the Conservatives, and I think around 104 or 108, if I'm uh, if I'm About not mistaken, that. from uh, from Labour, which seemed a little bit more disorganized. It started with the environment, which is a very important issue, but in this election, wouldn't you agree that Brexit was the issue and was one of the reasons why Labour flopped in getting the votes that it needed to even approach anywhere near a governing majority?
2: I think Brexit was... Yeah, it was the main issue of this election. Um, and I think we had a, a manifesto, I agree with pretty much all of the policies in there. I am a Labour member. But um, I I think it... I can't remember who the quote was from, but they said it came across more like a shopping list than a story. It wasn't sure. connected. It didn't, it didn't have a simple three-word message like get Brexit done that punched through. And I mean, even our 2017 slogan, for the many, not the few, was a bit more... More sort of clear than our message now. What is what is that message? <laughs> I think the slogan was "It's time for real change." our <laughs> really...
1: uh, party fighting in the opposition is always going to use a very similar slogan. That's similar to the Democrats in 2016
0: or something. Oh, like more. What was that? Uh, I can not even tell just, you. It,
1: it didn't, I'd never met anybody. materialised. never met anybody who ever said to me, it's, it's time for real change. I met people who said, let's get Brexit done, unleash Britain's potential. And I even met people who said, um, um, for the many, not the few. That's, but, that's um, what I thought that their was message just, was. It was, you know, I just lost. I, mean, I,
2: um, I read an interesting article in the aftermath of the election from the Open Democracy website that said that essentially one of the tactics of the conservative campaign going to the author was to muddy the waters a bit and to make politics very confusing, very tired for people, very tiring to pay attention to. So with a lot of claims like the are 50,000 new nurses of which 20,000 tend to already be employed or the 40 new hospitals of which there are only really six um, and things like that to throw, throw facts and figures there, confuse people and then cut through that with a simple, clear message. And our, our message got lost behind the, um, all of this noise, and I think that was one area where we but, failed.
0: But you you don't blame the muddy waters for your failure, though.
2: I mean, I think it's part of it. I think the Conservatives, if that was their campaign strategy, they certainly did it very well. I think we also failed to um, coordinate our message to cut, cut it through. I think a number of factors led into it. It wasn't just Brexit, it wasn't just leadership, it wasn't just our messaging, and it wasn't just your campaign. I think it all, it all um, came together to produce a result.
0: Yeah, and Harry, could you... Highlight some of the some of the promises in the manifesto, some of the policies that you agreed with the most, that you that you believed after knocking on people's doors, after meeting meeting people on the campaign trail. The, what policies did people really believe in? What got them excited to vote conservative? I
1: think the main reason and the main policy why people voted Conservative in this election was because of Brexit. And yeah, that's agreed. been shown. I, I think that, that. That's been shown with the stats and the data. So if someone would have said to me um, back in 2015 in that the Conservative Party would be winning seats such as Sedgefield, Tony Blair, some a former constituency from Lower Pittacock, or East Bromwich East, um, from Tom Watson's former seat, or Lee, Andy Burnham's former seat, Bolsover, which has never even had a Tory um, MP, um, Bishop Auckland, which has the fantastic Diana Davidson, uh, a newly elected Conservative MP. People wanted to get Brexit done. These areas voted to leave the European Union, and we voted to leave in 2016. And you were amazed yourself when we were talking before how long it's gone on for. And people are sick and tired of Brexit. And people voted for Brexit. Ultimately, people voted for it, you know, 52, 48. And the amount of people I met um, who said to me, you know, I'm a remainer, however, uh, leave one and we've got to get on with things now. Yeah, and, and that,
0: that is one thing that that really is, is striking with the comparison in Brexit policy between Labour and the Conservatives, where Labour said, let's renegotiate another deal it'll take maybe another year let's put it back to the people another vote another referendum I, whereas the conservative message had the democracy had the element of democracy of the last referendum on its side so it made it made the the remainers who said okay this is what the country voted for and the 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 people who voted leave both on their side i think people understood the difficulty of,
1: of achieving a new deal uh the european union have Already re- renegotiated with us once, so the idea of opening it up again is going to cause problems. But what incentive has the European Union got to give us a new deal, yeah. for example, if Labour did get into power? Because majority of your shadow cabinet is Remain, so going into negotiation and saying, "Oh, we're, you know, can we have a new deal?" You know, you can't do it if you don't believe in it. Yeah, you can't do. It. Like, can you actually name um, a lever? Is it Ian La- Lavery's the only
2: lever, isn't he? Ian within... Lavery, John Trickett, Angela Reina said she'd vote for the deal if we got but a Labour Leave but deal. But she's
1: remained though. Ultimately though, she. she Angela Reina
2: said on TV, actually in York in the um, Young People's debate that if they got a Labour Leave deal, she'd vote for that.
0: Well, just in in general with the the campaign was the Labour Brexit policy to renegotiate and put it back to the people for a a vote on the renegotiated deal, along with leave, or I'm I'm sorry, remain. Was that the right policy?
2: Well, I sort of have, I have two real ways of looking at this and thoughts on this. The first is electorally, which I think if you look back to the European elections about May, I think we were really caught between a rock and a hard place on this. Because um, we, we, we were sort of caught in the middle of the road and getting run over. We, Our policy wasn't cutting through. We were losing to Remainers and Leavers. Leavers wanted a harder Brexit. Remainers wanted us to co- commit to a referendum. And I think if we hadn't committed, we probably would have lost just as many Leavers to the Conservatives and also lost Remainers to the Lib Dems. And the Lib Dems really didn't do very well in this election. And I think that's thanks to our policy changing. Um, so I think there there were really no easy options for Labour on Brexit. Um, in terms of whether it was the right policy, just in general, I think it is... I think it is right that some that politicians do have a duty if they see something that they know will make people poorer, that they know will be worse for the country, that they do stand up and go, this this is this is a bad idea. And I think the changing circumstances, the threat of no deal, the harder Brexit that was that they were going for, did result in the, the increasing cause for the second referendum and did justify it because, to me, in a 52-48 referendum. It, it, it seems sensible when the country's that divided to go for some sort of compromised version of Brexit, a Norway option, a customs union, something like that. But now when we're, when we're having the government ministers having to reassure you that there'll still be fresh food and drinking water and that medicines will be available. I think it's right to say, hang on a minute, look, you've appointed us as your representatives. We spend our working days looking at all of these issues, looking at the details of them, and we know that this will make people poorer are you
0: sure you want to do this? I tend to agree with you, which is why I'm still so surprised that there was a vote on something this big uh, as a referendum in the first place. Uh, the referendums have long been, I mean, the tools of dictators and populists, and it seems it seems foolish yeah, for I'd an established democracy.
2: David Cameron to try and... Uh, I think he expected to give it away in a coalition agreement to the Liberal Democrats, um, but he did better than expected in 2015. You're shaking your
1: head, I, I, Harry. I completely disagree with both what you're saying. I don't. I think uh, there's been enough of a mandate to get Brexit done for a very long time. Since 2014, every election we've had has been won by a Eurosceptic party. So the European Parliamentary elections was won by UKIP in 2014. In 2015, it clearly stated in the Conservative Party manifesto if elected to government that we would hold a referendum, Conservatives achieve a majority. 2016, we hold the referendum, of course, in which Leave vote... Um, Leave win the election. 2017, we hold a general election in which the Labour Party were promising uh, to respect the will of the British people, and 80% of the vote went to parties who vowed to respect the will of the British people. 2019, we have two elections. We have the European Parliamentary elections uh, in which the Brexit Party uh, win, and later on in the year, um, the Conservatives win an outstanding majority. And do you know who the first party were to actually ask for a referendum on the UK's membership on the EU? Who were they? I think- it was a Lib Dem. Lib Dem. Dem-, wasn't Dem- it? Nick Clegg. Nick Clegg. I've got a post <laughs> oh, of it. Oh, poor Nick, Nick Clegg. Clegg. Oh, I agree. What? Let's yeah, just ha- let's just take a Dem- moment. Dem- I agree. Dem- I agree what he said, and the reason being is um, the UK joined the European Economic Community in 1973, um, whereas now that club has completely changed to what we it's actually changed to what we joined. So. Uh, treaties such as the Maastricht Treaty and uh, the Lisbon Treaty, both treaties were promised. So one was promised by John Major, so obviously Conservative Prime Minister and uh, Arch Remainer. Then uh, Tony Blair regarding the Lisbon Treaty, they both promised referendums on this saying, do you want to go on and do this? And they never gave the people a referendum on it whatsoever. So I think it was long overdue that eventually we were going to have a referendum on our membership on the European Union. And, you know, direct democracy is something which I don't think always works because I think you know leaving the European Union is a complicated issue. But you know, I bet the the British people uh, to have enough sense to know what they're voting for. I
0: absolutely don't. <laughs> I well, Americans voted for Trump, so
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think before <laughs> before I say something that that uh, gets taken off, air, <laughs> yeah, just <that, laughs> so, say something regrettable. It's just yeah, the 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 scope of issues uh, which all fell down to one vote to leave or to remain i i think is absolutely ridiculous to put to people who vote every 5 years to have people who they whose job it is to look into these issues on their behalf uh for an issue this complicated it seems like it, it, it the the campaign before it would be rife for misinformation for for deliberate misinformation and for that it misinformation to come from outside sources other nations with stakes in the UK leaving or Sounds remaining... A lot
1: like the, uh, the Remain campaign here. I was you know, going to say the remain, Leave campaign. The Remain campaign said that if we vote to leave the day after the vote, we would have be in recession. That never occurred. Uh, the leave, uh, the Remain campaign also said that if we vote to leave, that we would be at World War Three. And then when you talk about, um, you know, for, uh, foreign leaders coming and influencing it, well, Barack Obama came and said if we were to leave the European Union, we'd be at the very... right at the back of the queue. So I think... In both, in every election, in all elections ever happened in politics, there are going to be comments which I don't think are going to be lies, but it's going to be an expansion of the truth on both sides of the island. I will accept now. Remain said some things which I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to say lies because I do, you know, believe in people a bit more than that. But uh, they said things which was expanding the truth. The Leave campaign said things which were expanding the truth as well. And, yeah, I think it balances out. Otherwise, you know, we can go back to the 2017 general election because Labour said they would respect the will of the British people, but they clearly didn't. So maybe we could have a, a rerun run the 2017 election but before we didn't have a majority. And, you know, it could be going on for years. I mean, I think circumstances change, and that's
2: one of the reasons why we're proposing a second referendum. I think in general I would agree with you, Mark, that, um, that they are quite blunt instruments, referenda... And I don't think they can be used for an issue as complicated as this. I just, as an example, I'd say that there's been a lot of discussion recently about Northern Ireland, and its role in Brexit. And this was hardly discussed at all in 2016. It was much more about immigration, the
0: idea of hard Brexit. It, that should have been played up much more. I, I mean, this is just my opinion here. But but uh, and Carson, I'd be interested I mean, personally, to personally. I think the Remain campaign. Um,
2: Played a, a bit too much, if anything, on the, the the fears of Brexit because I don't think people people believed it or they sort of went oh, what the hell we 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 need change anyway. Uh, um, and I I think they didn't play enough on the the potential positives of the EU. I hardly think the EU is perfect. I wouldn't call me some call myself some sort of yeah
0: mad
2: europhile Lib Dem. But, um, <laughs>
0: wow, I'd... the Lib Dems are not getting a good shake today. <laughs>
2: but um, I'd. I think it could potentially be something that could a transnational body that could resist some of the, the international problems we have at the moment, like climate change and like globalizations and international corporations avoiding tax. I think it could really be the but beyond the size that, a of unified that
0: Europe, could, an economically unified Europe it is beneficial to yeah. all the parts of Europe in some you, sense. You can still yeah.
1: work closely with Europe and not be in the European Union. That is, I that really is true, that if we, we had a soft EU, Brexit. I really... No, I don't agree with that at all. I think the uh, challenge that we have now is to build a new relationship with the European Union and a relationship which is based solely on free trade and close cooperation in defence and security and the reason being for that is because it's mutually beneficial so when we talk about free trade first of all there's a a trade deficit between the UK and the EU of £66 billion the EU sell a lot more to us than we sell to them so it's very much in their interest to sell to us still so I'm very confident we're going to achieve a free trade agreement which we want to see because when you go to the supermarket, when you go on the streets you see loads of European Goods. So when you go out here, you'll see you know BMWs and Mercedes, and you go to the supermarkets, and you know I go to Aldi, and there's loads of German produce there. I will still you know continue buying them products whether we're in or out the EU. Obviously we're leaving now, which is fantastic. But people don't mention other things which the European Union has done. So for example, you know we pay 13 billion well, pounds let's, a year.
0: Let's not. Get into the all of the all of the intricacies of uh, of Brexit here. We're trying to stay a little bit focused, and yeah, we did kind of get uh, down a little bit of a rabbit <laughs> hole. But if we could just bring it back to the sort of generational divide that we saw in the last election, this is something that we we talked about a while for a while on that last recording. And I thought it was really interesting how it seems more prevalent than ever that in an election there will be. The, the young who will vote for the, the more liberal parties, Labour chiefly, and the retired and older people, pensioners, will vote for Conservatives uh, generally. And I believe the stats on that was like 64%. 62% of people over the age of
1: 65 vote Conservative. And uh, three quarters of voters between the age of 18 and 24 vote for what is they called the Liberal Party. So the Liberal Democrats, you know, are in there, surprisingly. And um, the Labour Party and the Green Party... And I think the reason being for that, I think there will always be a generational divide. I think there's been a generational divide for a very long time in the country and in all uh, political systems across the world. Um, But it changes. There is a theory out there, the older you get, the more conservative you get, and I believe in that theory completely. Otherwise, the Conservative Party would not be a party which is continuing its election success. Um, so I, I think people do get older, um, and I think they you know, grow up, and uh, eventually start seeing the realities of the world, and they start paying their taxes, and eventually they do t- turn to be Conservatives. Uh, Carson, you're, you're,
0: you're cringing I over mean, there. I think
2: that theory, the old... Um, if you're not a, a liberal when you're in university, you have no heart. If you're not a conservative when you're older, you, you have no, no brain. brain. I think it's just condescending. There has always been a, a a generational divide, but I think it has really gotten bigger in the last few elections. They offered a, a meaningful and actual change from the other parties. In 2015, I think a common criticism of us was we were a bit too too close to the conservatives. We were a bit too sort of Tory light whether that's fair or not it's up to you but there was a at least a change in narrative and on many issues um, The actual change was refreshing
0: moving right along to the US one one thing that I wanted to bring up being being American and my my main uh... My main interest is definitely US politics, uh, even though I'm going to have to talk a lot of UK politics on uh, on this show, and I'm looking forward to that, and really learning a lot more about UK politics. I'd like to thank you guys uh, again for coming on and helping to educate me a little bit about the UK political system. But there seems to me to be uh, several threads and themes in the UK which are connected to political circumstances and political themes in the US. And lots of political commentators have pointed to the sort of Thatcher, Reagan, Blair, Bush, uh, 2016 uh, Brexit referendum result uh, election of Donald Trump as connected in some way, maybe not uh, overtly, but but there's an implicit cultural sort of maybe populism thread that connects, especially the 2016 leave vote. And the Brexit or the 2016, yeah, Leave vote and uh, Donald Trump being elected. Am I am I completely off base there, Harry? I think there's a bit of a balance between both of them. I think there are a few examples
1: of um, linking the trends because you know the UK and the US share a lot of culture. They share a lot of the you know globalization in terms of trends as well. But I think in terms of the election of Donald Trump, I think one of the fundamental factors there is because I don't think in American politics that. Any party has stayed longer than two uh, two times, and that is something we we discussed about previously. Um, I also think Hillary ran a really poor campaign where she wasn't in touch with the working people. You're, she didn't go to
0: Michigan, Wisconsin, or Pennsylvania.
1: Exactly. So you you know you yourself being from Ohio, uh, Mark, um, which uh, is becoming more and more red. Exactly, and I, I think I should have mentioned this before. I think Trump was in touch with working class people, whereas Hillary Clinton wasn't. I think the majority of working class people want three simple things. I think they want job security, so they can you know, go to work every day, have that uh, regular income coming in. They want low taxation, so they can keep more money of what they earn. And I think the third and final one, when it comes to it, is they want um, good public services. And, yeah. they un- and they understand the way to have good bu- bu- public services is by having a strong economy. If you don't have a strong economy, you don't have the resources and the finances in place to support that at all. I think there are a few similarities in terms of American and British politics, but I think you can't link them for definite. You know, comparing Bush and Blair, you know, in terms of a political spectrum, they're very different individuals. You know, Bush was a very liberal centrist um, Labour Prime Minister, whereas uh, B- Bush was. Um, you know on the other side of uh he's, you know, he's uh, socially um, conservative i am more
0: talking about their joint sort of uh foreign policy intervention yeah that famous 2003 liberal pro- interventionism yeah yeah uh which which would more ideologically uh intertwine them but are the two nations do have a sort of politically connected history of course more positive after 1812 more negative before <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I said I said I, I, I promised someone I wouldn't bring that up, but but I but I, I have now and that ship has sailed uh, so just to just to, just to finish off on um, the 29 or 2020 uh, Democratic uh, or the 2020 presidential election in the US and the Democratic uh, caucuses about to start happening and, uh, and Primaries and that race who are your candidates? Personally, I
2: support Bernie Sanders because I think, well, ideologically, he's pretty similar to me. And also, I think he's the candidate that can appeal to a lot of these areas that did vote for Trump and that are crucial for winning the election, like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, those sorts of areas, because I think he does offer solutions to the, the problems behind Trumpism, um, rather than just being a candidate like, for example, Joe Biden, who's campaign is mostly focused on not being donald trump oh he might say some slightly controversial things about being friends with segregationist senators but at least he hasn't actually said that mexicans are rapists oh he might be slightly creepy to women but at least he hasn't actually boasted about secular assault it's sort of not being not as bad as the other one isn't a good campaign strategy and i think that's where the democrats failed in 2016 and i think they need to offer a real positive vision of the future and to me bernie Sanders is the candidate for that how about you harry
1: I'm quite torn at the moment because being a conservative, you wouldn't expect me to support a Republican. However, I will not be saying at all uh, I'll be supporting Donald Trump because I think he's absolutely horrific and vile. But um, at the moment, in terms of the Democratic uh, candidates, I am probably leaning towards Joe Biden. The reason why I'm leaning towards Joe Biden at the moment is because I think they, I think the, what America need at the moment they need a bit of experience. They need someone who's a bit of a winner. You know, he's won elections before. He's been on the ticket with Barack Obama before. He understands how international politics works. Because at the moment, I think America's foreign policy is just, it changes from day to day, as far as I'm aware. Of. It's just something which is bizarre. And I think America is losing a lot of respect in the world. And uh, I think it's important to elect a leader who understands uh, the role of the US in the world. So that's why I'm not supporting Trump, but I'm, that's why I'm supporting Joe Biden. I think he has done things before in government, which has helped a lot of people. He's on the more of the... Uh, I think Joe Biden, if he was a, a member of Parliament in the UK, would certainly be a Conservative. Um, so I would be supporting yeah, Joe Biden. Be, yeah, he definitely would yeah. be. But and obviously, yeah. you yeah, want and, to endorse uh, your candidate. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, uh, the last time i uh, the last recording, it, it might be good because I did go along about uh, go on about Andrew Yang a bit too long. It's it's hard not to though. Oh, what a, what a great dude! <laughs> <laughs> and, and the one thing that I that I that I wanted to say is I I think that he's just a great, personable, caring individual who I think would be actually very effective at governing, and cobbling together a majority. Of Americans and people in both houses of Congress to support bold actions and uh, that one the my favorite thing that he said is uh, that we need in some cases the opposite of Donald Trump and the opposite of Donald Trump is an Asian man who likes math <laughs> which just kills me every time uh, because it, it's so true he is definitely an opposite of Donald Trump in the ways that matter and in in good ways and he's galvanized a youth movement online and I think that he can... Yang Gang. Yeah, Yang Gang. <laughs> exactly. a good slogan. You might want that. it 100% is. Well, in math is his other slogan. He yeah, puts it on hats. Yeah,
1: I know you sell merchandise, isn't he?
0: Yeah, good stuff.
1: It would have been better if you would have turned up with your uh, Yang merchandise, maybe like a math t-shirt, maybe. I'm um,
0: sorry to say that I don't own any. Ah, sh-
1: that's poor form. It is. I've form.
0: donated to the campaign a couple of times, but I haven't bought a... It, I, sh- I should. I should. I should own a next math time hat. we
1: come onto the show. I think you've got to have a young t Yeah. And I know.
0: On. Of course, we're not recording anything. Anything visually. Maybe that's something to do in the future. We're, we're, <laughs> it, we're in our favorite merch. But uh, I do have to say that this isn't the, the club of Peps official endorsement of Andrew Yang. We're not, not allowed to. <laughs> not allowed to do that. Quite would get uh, would get yelled at. But uh, but I think that's a, that's a good place to end it on a solid plug for Andrew Yang. Uh, on our second recording <laughs> Make sure you
1: set, uh, save this recording Yeah, That was the problem it. with the yeah. last one, yeah. do I, one. <laughs> this,
0: I don't even think I mean, it's my fault it. <laughs> I, I actually just think that it's the, the system Which completely screwed up Because I hit end recording And then walked over to get uh, One of the people helping at the station here to, to save it, to help me save it. And then it was gone when I came back. See, I'm convinced that they just deleted it while I was gone. They, it's all a big conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. Thank you guys for coming on. No Carson, Thank you very much for having me. Harry, it a pleasure? It's, been a, it's been a pleasure.
1: Same, same.
0: Uh, and uh, yeah, this has been the, the Pep Talk podcast. Uh, Till next week, next time. Whenever we're back, actually, we'll be doing an Athens podcast, uh, the Athens story with uh, several members who went on that trip. So look forward to that. And I'll be seeing you then. Bye bye.